Now, here was the idea behind the series we're in. We are in a series called Summer of Prayer. And the idea was we were going to go through the Lord's model prayer from Matthew chapter 6. We were going to work through learning to pray as a church, really make prayer an emphasis in the center of what we do as God's people. And come fall, we would really see these ministries that were pouring all these resources and effort and energy into, like Life Academy and like 3D Life Recovery. We would really kick those off, and God would just really bless that, and we would see a harvest. And apparently God's not on our timeline because he's already kicked them off, and we are already seeing a harvest. Church, we're almost full in here today. We are almost full. That's a great problem to have. Amen? We are packed in here today, and I'm excited for what God is doing, and I'm excited for what he's going to do in us today because we're going to talk about something that if you are an imperfect person is going to be important to you. So for you perfect Christians who have figured it out, you can tune me out today and take a nap. But if you ever struggle with sin, if you ever struggle with temptation, this is for you today. Because Jesus brought this idea into the model prayer. When he taught his disciples to pray, he wanted to make sure that something that we brought to God was our struggle with temptation. Anybody want to go ahead and confess to the Lord this morning, I struggle with this. Maybe it's a thought pattern, maybe it's the way that I feel about things or about people, maybe there's a habitual sin in my life that I keep running to and I keep going back to. Whatever it is, Jesus wanted us to bring this up when we pray. So when he taught his disciples to pray, here's what it sounded like. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. And let's remind ourselves this morning how he divided this up. This is so important. He said, number one, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, when we go to pray, there's two things we must get right first. Who is God and how do we approach him? All right? Who is God and how do we approach him? If you don't know the answer to that today, you've got to get that figured out first before you try to start fixing yourself. Because you can't fix yourself today. You can't try hard enough and do well enough and be consistent enough and use willpower. You've got to figure out who God is before you can move forward. And we have to know how to approach him. We approach him in worship, and he is our father. Verse 10, he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing we have to figure out in prayer Who is God, how do we approach him, and what does he want? Church, here's what God wants today. He wants his kingdom to come in your life, and in your family, and in your home, and in your church, and in your community, and in this country. He wants his kingdom to come, and he wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus says, when you pray, we've figured out who God is, we know how to address him, we know what he wants and how he wants it to look. Then we start to talk to God about us and what we need. We say, Jesus, there are things I need if I'm going to live this life for your kingdom. If I'm going to be your child in this world, there are things that I need today. And he says, give us this day, we pray, our daily bread. God gives us what we need for today. Amen? You don't have what you need for tomorrow yet. God didn't give you that today. He's going to give you that tomorrow. But today you have what you need for today. And then he says... We pray in verse 12 that God would forgive us of our debts. Here's where it gets personal. God, what about the things that I've done? What about my past? Anybody got a past? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody got a past in this room that's checkered? You struggled? 
difficult, made some bad decisions, messed it up along the way, screwed it up along the path, and now here you are today, and you want to be a good Christian. You want to live a life that pleases God. You want to do this God's way, but man, that, that old life sometimes rears its ugly head. When we pray, we take that to God, and we say, God, my past, I need you to forgive it. Church, the good news is that the Bible says when we ask God to forgive us, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whatever is in your past today, understand that when we come to God, we can give him our past and he will take our past and we don't have to carry our past anymore because he took it. Amen? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us, or as the Bible calls it, our debtors. Now it gets really personal because we not only got to deal with me, God, what about the people who hurt me? What about the people who sinned against me? God, what about them out there? God, what are you going to do with them? And Jesus says when we pray, we pray that God would forgive us to the level we forgive them. Very personal. Are you carrying anger and unforgiveness and bitterness with you? Are you living out of the hurt that somebody else caused? When you go to God in prayer, he wants you to deal with that. He wants you to give that to him. So God, what about what I've done? What about what they've done? And finally, in verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we pray, as we get to the end of our prayer, God wants us to address the fact that not only do we have a past that sometimes try to follow us around and discourage us, not only do we have other people that are causing problems and situations in our life, but Jesus said when you pray, we should also be praying about the fact that even when we try our best, we are still going to struggle and we're still going to fail. And it's important that we address this, and I believe Jesus brought this up in his model prayer because I believe today there is a separation between the way God sees his children and the way we see ourselves. Let me explain to you what I mean. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away and all things have become new. The Bible says that when we sin, we have an advocate with Christ Jesus the righteous who advocates for us with the Father. So here's what I think happens in the Christian life day to day. And maybe I, I, I want you all to give me a little feedback so I can know that I'm hitting the mark here. See if you can relate to this. When God looks at me and he looks at you today, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, he sees you as holy and righteous. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your failures. He sees Jesus' success. That's what he sees when he looks at you. If you're a child of God, that's what he sees. He doesn't see you as a screw-up. He doesn't see you as a mess-up. He doesn't see the consistent failures. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he wiped the slate clean past, present, and future. And you can't mess it up enough for him to stop loving you. He looks at you just the same way. When you blow it, his opinion of you does not change, and his plan for you does not change, and his goals for you do not change. But when I blow it, and I mess up, my opinion of me changes, and my thoughts about my spiritual walk change, and it sort of feels like my relationship with God changes. And when I come to church on Sunday... And I hear music like what I heard today, and I sing along with it, and I believe the words, and it fills my heart with joy. And I get to come before you, and I get to bring the word, and I get to see the word of God by the spirit of God take effect in people's hearts. And I see the church growing. I walk out of this place 
ready to attack the world's system and ready to go after what God has for me. But whenever that temptation comes on Monday or on Tuesday and I blow it, I tend to think of myself, man, I've messed it up again. And whatever God had for me, I probably can't do it. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm probably not capable of doing it. And I bet God wants to do great things through me, but I just can't because I keep screwing this thing up. And I keep messing my life up. And what we need to understand today is that in the same way Jesus gives us the answer for our past and he gives us an answer for what everybody else has done to us, Jesus gives us the answer in his word for what we keep doing to ourselves. Jesus gives us the antidote for temptation. He gives us the cure for what is ailing us. And we are to come to God with this daily in prayer. James said, that anyone who says he's without sin is lying to themselves. This is for all of us today. When we talk about temptation, as we see it in Matthew chapter 6, I want to address it like this. I've got two main points, and I'm going to try to break them down. Number one, I want to talk about living under leadership. Because the Bible says... The Bible says, and it says lordship up here, it's actually leadership, although lordship is a nice way to put it because really living under God's leadership is lordship because he's lord, he's master, he's boss, so those words can be interchangeable. But it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 13, it says when we pray about temptation, we pray that Jesus would not lead us into temptation, which means that Jesus understood there was a relationship between leadership and temptation. There is an assumption that Jesus had that he passed on to us when we pray. Church, here's the assumption. Now, here's what I want you today. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to ask yourself if this is true of you. Jesus assumed that his children were being led. All right? Jesus assumed that his children, and this is for you Christians in the room today, Jesus Christ is your Savior. He assumed that in your life, your decisions are being made not by you, but by him. He assumed that you were living under his leadership or under his lordship. And this is an important dichotomy between us and the culture today. Let me explain. Our culture is teaching and has taught us that the most important thing you need to do in life is you need to figure out who you are and what your truth is. And once you've discovered your truth and once you have labeled your own identity however you feel based on how you feel on the inside, not what God has assigned to you, but what you've assigned to yourself, then it's important to make sure that those around you know how you identify so that they can identify you in a way that pleases you and affirms you. You see? And yet Jesus said, when we come before God, I don't come before God and say, God, this is who I am, this is how you approach me, and this is what I want in this world. He said, you come before God and say, God, your Father, I worship you today, and it's your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Your will in my life, my will has to go. You see, this prayer for temptation only works if we're being led by the Spirit of God. It's the only way it works. And my concern today is that you will hear this message and you will try to apply it without getting the first part of it right. If your identity is not in Jesus, you can't make this work. 
You have to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We live under God's leadership or his lordship. And here's what this means specifically. Number one, I do not have the final say in my own circumstances in my life. See if you can relate to this. Anybody feel like busy and overwhelmed and kind of tired just like all the time, like you've got more tasks than you have hours in the day? Okay, there's about three hands up. So the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to dedicate about 20 hours a week to serving in Life Academy with the first through eighth grade here Monday through Friday because apparently you're not busy enough. So if you're not busy enough, we got seven days a week worth of work to do here at Life Church. But I bet most of you can relate to this. We all feel busy. We all feel tired. We all feel overwhelmed. We have too much to do. And I say this a lot. I'll say something that sounds like this. I've got plans, and I've got things I want to accomplish, and God has things he wants to do through me, and I will work on those things once I get through the season I'm in. Once I can get through this crisis, once I can get through this job, once I can get through this process, once I can get through this season, once I feel more comfortable in the season I'm in, once things begin to normalize a little bit, then I can work on my growth. But the truth is, church, we never get through the chaos. You exit one crisis, and you're into the next crisis. And if we wait until our circumstances match our expectations before we are willing to grow, then the truth is we will never grow. Because the Bible says that the prince of the power of the air of this world is Satan. And of all the things that he does to the church, I believe one of the most devastating is that he knows how to keep us busy and distracted. He knows how to keep us busy and distracted. And we need to learn in our lives that when it comes to the circumstances of my life, yes, I reap what I sow. Yes, it's important that I make good decisions. But ultimately, there are going to be things that happen that I have no control over. I didn't see them coming. I didn't ask for them. They just happened. And now i got to deal with it. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.19 that in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Ultimately, church, no matter how hard we try, we can't control what happens out there. We can't change necessarily all of the outcomes in the world. And the more we try, the more frustrated we become. Are you a controlling person? Do you need to dictate the terms of your life? Are you constantly frustrated by what gets laid in your lap? Understand that the sooner you learn to give those anxieties to God, the sooner you are free to live the life he's called you to live. All right? Number two. Living under lordship means that I am not the moral authority in my own life. Let me say that again. Living under God's leadership or under lordship means that I am not the moral authority of my own life. I want to share a story with you. I'm a great fan of cinema. I'm a lover of the arts. A renaissance man, if you will. And a couple years ago, I took my family to see what was sort of an art house film. It's called Frozen 2. Fine piece of American cinema. I was most, mostly there for my kids. And to be honest with you, I, I really liked the movie. It was, it was fun. The music was good. I laughed through it. The animation was great. I enjoyed it. Clearly, I'm a distinguishing critic of cinema, okay? Good movie. Really liked it. But the story went right over my head until I thought about it later. You ever see a movie and you watch it and then it's not until later that you think back and go, oh, that's what they were trying to say. That's what the plot was getting to. It's a, it's a deep plot, okay? You've got to be a distinguishing critic to understand it upon first watch. In this story, the main character 
or the protagonist, Elsa, is distraught because she feels like there's a hole in her life. There is a truth about herself and about the world that she's missing. And because she can't get to this truth, she doesn't really understand her purpose, and she has this constant sense of longing and discomfort. And as she experiences this, as the queen of this domain, what's it, Arendelle? All right, as she is leading the kingdom of Arendelle, she cannot get past this nagging sense that there's something else out there that she's missing. And she's laying in bed one night, and she begins to hear this voice calling out to her somewhere off in the distance. And the whole plot of the movie centers around her goal of getting out, leaving her comfortable space, getting out there in the dangerous wilderness to find the voice that's calling to her. And she knows that when she finds this voice and she connects with this person who is calling out to her, that this person is going to answer all of her questions. It's going to give her fulfillment and it's going to ease the longing in her heart and her life will find purpose and the whole movie centers around this quest to find the person calling out to her and she finds the person and who knows who the person is that's calling to her anybody remember this is deep the person who was calling out to her was herself and it was herself that had been calling to her and when she finally learned who she was and she finally got to meet and accept herself, now all of her longing was fulfilled. Now all of her questions were answered. And now she could be the Elsa she was always meant to be. And I thought about it, and when it hit me, I thought, man, that's the message that the culture is teaching our children. That truly, happiness and fulfillment comes not in finding the God that is outside of us, who came to us, but it's finding the real me inside myself. And church, this is a dangerous worldview that we are teaching our children. And some of us adults in the room perhaps have accepted this worldview today. And we just think that if I can find my truth and I can really get comfortable with my own identity, then all my longings will be answered and all my questions will be answered. And I'll find happiness and I'll find belonging and I'll find joy. And I want to share with you the truth today. And this might be difficult for some of us to swallow, but the truth is, the more of yourself you know, the more disappointed and empty you're going to be. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and it is beyond cure. Your heart and my heart is a dangerous leader. And the more I follow my heart, the more I screw up my life. The more I make my decisions based on how I feel, the more chaotic my life becomes. I was born not a good person, but a bad person. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we were all born the seed of Adam, the first man who ever lived, who made the decision to rebel against God and to sin, and in doing so, passed the curse of sin onto each one of us. And today, you and I sit here, and if we are at, without Jesus today, and we are being led by our sinful heart, we are leading ourselves into destruction and into death. It is a dangerous worldview to believe that I need to self-identify and others need to identify how I identify. The truth is we will not find happiness and fulfillment and righteousness and purpose until we give death to my identity and find my identity in Christ. He is where our identity is found. Living under lordship means I am not the moral authority in my life. And this is countercultural. 
many of us spend a lot of time scrolling social media. And a lot of y'all on my friends list seem to think you're the moral authority. And the truth is, so do I. And the sooner we can let that go and appeal to the true moral authority who is our creator, God, his son, Jesus Christ, empowering us by his Holy Spirit, the quicker we're going to get this thing right. I'm not the moral authority in my life. Number three, living under lordship means this. Without leadership or without lordship, I tend to lead myself into temptation. When we pray, Jesus says we pray about temptation like this. Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But yet we learn in James... Jesus' own brother says this, When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God can't be tempted by evil, nor can God be tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. You see, this is the reason that I do not get to be the immoral authority in my life because when I start making decisions outside of his leadership in my life, I lead myself down this path that results in spiritual death. It's dangerous. He's the moral authority because when I'm leading myself, I find myself in the same temptation over and over again. And let's get practical with this for a minute. If you've got a temptation problem, and most of us do. If you've got a temptation problem, chances are you know what your temptation triggers are. If you know what your trigger is, raise your hand. If you know what your spouse's trigger is, point at it. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You might be your spouse's trigger, actually. Most of us know what our triggers are, most of us know where it comes from, and most of us know that if we're being honest, there are places we should not go, there are things we should not do, and there are people we should not associate with. If you have struggled with substance abuse or alcoholism, there are some restaurants you probably just shouldn't eat at. There are places you just shouldn't go. And you can try to be your own moral authority and say, well, listen, I need to go back into these places and be a light to these people. If you can do it, great. But chances are that temptation is going to trip you up. Chances are it's dangerous for you to be in those places. Some of us in this room find ourselves in this repeated cycle of extremely unhealthy relationships. And though we keep getting hurt over and over and over by the same type of people, that longing heart, that moral authority that isn't God, but it's me, it keeps leading me back to the same types of people. And I keep going back and getting stuck in that same old trap. It's dangerous. When you lead yourself, this is where you end up. Some of us in the room today, and this is really unique to our generation, we've got access through our smartphones to information and to images that are damaging to us and they're sinful and stats tell us that the majority of men and a growing number of women are struggling with this more than ever yet the idea that we could live without this technology is so foreign that we just accept the fact that this temptation will always win and the truth is today it will always win as long as you are your own moral authority leading yourself there are answers, but sometimes the answers are uncomfortable. But the question is not, how good is your willpower? Because we all know it's not any good. The question is, how far are you willing to go when he's leading you? 
Because it's possible that God's leading some people to get a flip phone. And yes, your friends will laugh at you. But you can play snake and you can laugh at them. And you can be holy and righteous in the process, all right? You can have it. But sometimes we got to make sacrifices. The truth is, when I'm the one making the decisions, I say, well, yes, it's a struggle for me, but I'm not going to live without the freedom that this device gives me. Well, okay, you've made your decision. You're leading yourself into temptation. But there are answers. There is hope. Without leadership, I tend to lead myself into temptation. Now, if I were to close the sermon right now, number one, you'd be shocked because it would be the shortest message I ever preached. So don't worry, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to break your expectations, all right? But also, you wouldn't have a lot of hope. Because the truth is, what I've just preached about is the way most of the, Lord, the, way most of the world lives. We are our own moral authority. We decide who we are and what we want to do. And we constantly lead ourselves into the same temptation over and over. And many of us live in the cycle of temptation, sin, shame, guilt, temptation, sin, shame, guilt. And the further we go in that cycle, the more isolated we get. And the more isolated we get, the more hopeless we get. And the more desperate we get. And the more lonely we get. And that loneliness is a breeding ground for Satan to bring that right back to you again. And many of us are living in that. I want to give you some good news today. Jesus told us to pray about this because God has the solution to this. And you can have the solution to this today if you are willing to do this God's way. And here's what it looks like. We have hope for deliverance today, and that hope is found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel. We call it the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what it looks like specifically. Number one, when we look at how we win against temptation, look at the prayer once again. I know I've got you jumping around, media team, but if you can put Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 back on the screen, I want them to be able to see it. When Jesus says we pray about temptation, here's what it should sound like. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. If I had written this prayer and Jesus had asked my opinion, here's how I would have written it. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me, God, and eliminate temptation from my life. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. God, get rid of the temptation. Isn't that really what we want, just get rid of the temptation? If it was that easy... And we could just say, listen, if you follow God's leadership in your life and you come under his authority, you can live absent of temptation. That would be the best case scenario for me. But the truth is God did not design it this way. You see, the solution to our temptation problem is not the absence of temptation, but it is the presence of Jesus who gives us freedom and deliverance from the tempter. Look how he phrases it. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. You see, the victory in your temptation is not that you figure out how to stop being tempted. It's that you figure out that there is a deliverer who will deliver you from temptation. And it also identifies the one who is bringing the temptation to you, the evil one. You see, this isn't just about you. We have a common enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. And Satan has 
entities that work with him and for him who are constantly aiding us in our temptation. They want to keep us in this cycle. But Jesus says, when you pray, we pray not that God would eliminate the temptation, but that God would introduce the deliverer into our lives. Here's where the victory is, church. Somebody needs Jesus to deliver them from the cycle of temptation and failure and sin. Here's where your hope is. It's that you can be delivered from temptation. This is what this looks like. Let's go back to that last point. There is hope for deliverance. And it's not the absence of temptation, but it's deliverance from the tempter. Church temptation can be defeated. You can win against temptation. Do you believe that today? You can win against temptation, but you can't win against temptation until you understand how to do it. There is a strategy that God gives us. There's a strategy that God gives us. If I were to take some of you today and I were to form together a makeshift football team, I said, all right, guys, football season's coming. I want John Willis on my team for sure. There's a few of you I look around. I don't know if I want you on my football team, but we'll take whoever will come. All right, We won't even do tryouts. We'll just, whoever comes, we'll be on the team together. And we're going to go practice against the Miami Dolphins. You better believe that if we just line up and try to go pound for pound with them, we're going to get slaughtered. We better have a strategy. And you say, well, even with the strategy, we'll probably get slaughtered. Yeah, probably so, but here's the thing. With a strategy, you can at least protect yourself a little bit. You can arm yourself. We can work together. Here's why so many of us fail against temptation. We have no leadership in our lives. We are making our own way the best we know how to do it. Absence of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're doing it in isolation. We come to church on the weekends, and that's a great start. But the truth is, Monday through Saturday, many of us are living at our jobs, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. We're pretty much alone in this thing. And we feel that loneliness. And we're trying to fight these battles alone. But the truth is, this temptation can be defeated, but it takes a strategy. Here's what the strategy looks like. Number one, understanding that it can be defeated. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says it like this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Let's not miss this. Whatever you're struggling with, you're not alone. Whatever you're struggling with today, you are not alone. And I know some people in this room, and I'm not going to point them out, but I can promise you that if you have blown it somewhere, there is somebody in this room who has blown it just as bad as you have, probably in the same way that you have. One trick that the enemy uses is that he tells you, after he tempts you, and after you fail, he then tells you that nobody blows it as bad as you blow it. And if anybody knew the truth about you, they would reject you. But the truth is, if you confess your sin to God, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. But then the Bible also says that if you confess these sins one to another, you find healing. And this is where many of us miss it. We think that we are unique in our struggles. But when we confess our sins to each other, what we find is we're not that different. We all struggle in many of the same ways. But some of you don't have that in your life. You don't have a group of people that you can trust in that way who will accept you even when you've blown it. He said there is no sin that's overtaken you that isn't common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Church, do you see it? It's not hopeless. Whatever your struggle, it's not hopeless. God is not going to put more on your plate when it comes to temptation than what you can handle. It even says specifically, but when you're tempted... 
He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Church, there is a way out of the mess in your life. It is not hopeless. It is not too far gone. You have not blown it too many times. God has not forgotten about you. If he had forgotten about you, why did he bring you here today? Why are you here? You're here because God has not forgotten you, and he wants to give you hope today that your life can be different. He wants to give you hope today that you can find victory. Well, where is the victory found? Here's where it's found. Temptation has already been defeated. Here's where the hope really is. Yes, you can defeat temptation, but here's the really good news. Jesus has already defeated temptation, and he will give you his victory if you'll ask him. He will give you his victory if you will ask him. Because Jesus won the victory, we share in that victory.